most Sid Hall's band. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was a missionary to Africa. He was also from Canada, but he was visiting the States and he spoke at the assembly. And before the message, uh, he was telling us how he had uh, begun reading his Bible a little bit differently than he had. Normally he would read a chapter or a book or a, a good portion each day, but he said he, he had kind of gotten into this uh, habit of reading just small chunks as opposed to, to uh, larger pieces, like a whole chapter. Um, and then he would meditate on just that one sentence or two or three before he would go any further. And he said how, how rich it became. So this may be um, something that, that uh, we would like to try. Um, actually, I, and I had, I had realized that I had sort of neglected that type of reading in my own life. Uh, years ago, because I didn't know anything about the Bible, you start to read and you say, oh, well, what does this mean? Oh, there's a reference there. And before you know it, you're flipping back and forth and you're really getting into it a little bit more. So I purposed in my heart that I would try to do that again. And the Lord uh, led me to this small book of Colossians, um, which honestly, uh, Colossians it was not my favorite book in the Bible. I mean, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I mean, we all have our favorites, right? Whether it's uh, um, Genesis or Exodus or Hebrews, Revelation, whatever. But uh, the Lord kind of led me here, and I realized that uh, I was getting into two chapters. The first two chapters is doctrine. And the last two are practical. And doctrine simply means teaching. But uh, I, I sort of got stuck there for a while, and, but it was, it was a good stuck. So I'd like to share a little, a little bit on the book of Colossians, but only the first 14 verses in chapter 1. And I'd like to, like to ask the Lord's help here. Dear Father, Lord, we come before you and thanking you for another opportunity that we could remember your dear son and what took place on the Calvary's cross. And now, Lord, as we open your word and look into it, we pray, Lord, that it would be alive and that you would enable us and uh, just find some verses here that, Lord, would help us to walk a walk closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, for a little bit of background, um, Colossae was an ancient city in what was known as Asia Minor, a little bit east of, of Ephesus. You probably know Ephesus, the Ephesians. Uh, but you will not find Colossae on any map today. It's a... Uh, it was an ancient city. It was destroyed by a Turkish invasion, <clears throat> excuse me, in around the 12th century. And so Colossae is no more today, but it was a, a city back then that certainly was, was in Bible times. So Paul wrote this letter to the people in Colossae, and he wrote it while he was a prisoner in a Roman cell. And he probably never visited Colossae. But they, it seems as though they probably heard the good news, the gospel, from a man by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras was from Colossae, and he preached the good news. In fact, if you look at verse 7 in chapter 1 of Colossians, it says, As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras was giving Paul reports of what was taking place 
in Colossae. And the main focus of this book is really the deity of Christ. And deity means God, a God, small g, typically. But in this case, it's a large g for our God, the only true and living God. So it it, uh, focuses on the preeminence of Christ, the deity of Christ. Preeminence is a big word. Pre simply means before. And eminence means a position of prominence or superiority. And certainly we want to do that, have our Lord Jesus as the preeminence. So the first two chapters are doctrinal. The last two are practical. And doctrine simply means teaching. Um, And some some people like practical messages more than doctrinal messages. I had... One brother said to me um, a, a while ago, he said, do we have to do another message on doctrine? I, why can't we do the practical? And I thought about that, and I realized that sometimes doctrine can be difficult because it doesn't seem to relate to what I have to do each day. But I, 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 I kind of um, uh, experienced this when I was younger, and I thought I would, I would share it. It's kind of, doctrine is kind of like this. When I was younger, I went to, um, lived in Norwalk, uh, went to high school. It was a brand new high school, Brian McMahon High School. We were the first class to graduate from there. So when we went in, not many young people in those days went to college because no, no one had the money. You know, some of the rich kids went to college, but, but uh, us slugs, we didn't go to college, you know. So uh, I was in what was called the industrial arts curriculum. I had wood shop, I had auto shop, and mechanical drawing, architectural drawing. But I really liked the auto shop because I really liked cars, and I liked fast cars. And so I went to the uh, auto teacher before the the classes even started, and I said, uh, do you think we could do a, a class project this year and take the motor out of my car and rebuild it as a class project. And he said, that's a great idea. Yeah, sure. He said, we can do that. However, you have to agree, and the rest of the students, that we will go through the manual first and understand all the workings of the internal combustion engine. I said, yeah, of course we'll do that, of course. Well, after six weeks of of learning all that stuff. We wanted to get our hands on these brand new tools and pull the motor. I didn't tell him it had, it was a 53 Ford with a 57 Mercury Turnpike Cruiser motor in it that we wanted to rebuild and put a high lift cam and all that stuff in. But we did it. And so doctrine was kind of, doctrine is kind of like that. You've got to understand the basics before you can apply it to your life. And the three most important components of reading your Bible are uh, observation, where we get the, the big picture, interpretation, where we start drilling down a little bit deeper, and then finally, application. What do we do with what we've learned in terms of our own life? So Colossians, for the first two chapters, is sort of like that. Uh, it teaches us all about the Lord, our God. It teaches us how he should have the preeminence and why. And how can we share the good news with others about uh, uh, if we, how can we share the good news with others if we don't know what we base our information on? 
We've got to know it's th our information is based on truth, absolute truth. And there's not very much truth in the world today, as you, as you know. There's, but this is absolute truth because God cannot lie. We have something that's, that's very valuable. So doctrine, the definition of doctrine is a principle or position in a branch of knowledge or system of belief. So the, the Bible is basically that. It's a teaching from God because God breathed it into the hearts of men to write exactly what they wrote. So within doctrine, I was, I was also realizing that people like topical studies and they like practical studies. But if you take a portion that's doctrinal, there are many topics that you could break out of there and have separate messages on. Even in, in, in this chapter one, I went through and I, I saw, okay, we could talk about the apostles and saints and what they are. Faith, love, hope, faithfulness, the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, his last name is not Christ, it's, it's Jesus the Christos, the Greek word for the anointed one, the Messiah. Prayer, the Christian's walk, light, darkness, redemption, all these things are, are in just the first 14 verses. So even though people are reluctant to get too deeply into doctrine, there's practical expressions in there that we can take hold of. Doctrine is critically important to the Christian. And Paul wrote this letter to the people in Colossae. But this letter is for us. And how do I know that? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is breathed into the hearts of men, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. Why? so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God-breathed. So this, everything in this book is really for our benefit. So let's begin reading a little bit here. So uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1 starts out with Paul. And if you're, if you're really going to drill down, you want to look at pretty much every word, every sentence. And I remember... Um, at the National Workers Conference a few years ago, Bob Upton gave three messages on just that first word, Paul. Uh, Paul the Apostle, Paul the, the Prisoner, and he, the great, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. He was really a murderer of Christians in the beginning, but God got a hold of him, and he wrote, ended up writing most of the New Testament. So Paul introduces himself in verse 1 as an apostle. Well, what is that? Well, apostle is one who was sent from God with a message and certain power. Paul was not one of the 12, but he certainly was an apostle. He had all the qualifications of being an apostle. He had apostolic power. He was chosen by God. And it says he was uh, sent from God with a message, and it was God's will that he was interested in. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So in this salutation, in the greeting of this letter, because it was a letter, it wasn't only Paul who was writing this, it was Timothy was right there with him, and he's sending information from both he and Timothy. It's like uh, you write a letter, Dear John or Dear Mary or whatever. Paul is right, always starts his letters, it seems, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is that? Why does he say that? Grace and peace. You know, he said that in all of his letters, grace and peace. So there must have been some significance there. And grace is um, receiving something from God that we don't deserve. It's God's uh, unmerited favor to us. And peace, well, that's a, that was a common Hebrew uh, saying, phrase, shalom. Shalom means uh, peace. So Paul was wishing these people in Colossae to have much grace, even though they didn't deserve it, and have the peace of God in their life, that perfect peace which can only come from God. And he wished them God's favor and a blessed life. It's kind of like us saying, well, have a good day, but certainly much more depth than that. It doesn't get any better than that to have God's best with perfect peace, unlike what the world offers. Like us, we have grace, we have peace, but we tend to drift off every once in a while. Maybe several times a day, maybe once a week, maybe... Months go by and we've got such a close relationship and something creeps in, the world gets into our life a little bit and we tend to drift off and what I would call drift towards Egypt. So we want to come back to the Lord. So Paul always encouraged the, the saints in all of his letters to, with grace and peace so that their relationship with Christ would increase. Verses 3 through 8 uh, is Paul's prayer. He says, we... He and Timothy give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, always praying for the Colossians, since since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the world, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all of the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it also is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, so... um, Paul and Timothy, um, they were considering always these Colossians and praying for them. Ever since they heard from Epaphras what a good church this was. With their faith, faith in Jesus first, then love for all the saints. And this love is the, the agape love. The Greek word is agape, it's unconditional love. These Colossians had the same love to, that Christ exhibited on the cross. Whatever you do to me, I'm still going to love you. And that's, that's the agape love. This seemed like a really good church. 
The agape love says, Father, forgive them. They know what, not what they do. That's what Jesus said. That's agape love. And the hope that they had. Now, the hope that they had was not the, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. This hope, and the same hope that we have, is a secure hope. It's a promise. It's a certainty. It's a reward for every saint. And you know how I know that? Well, first off, God cannot lie. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this. 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 3 through 5, Peter writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And where have we begotten to? Verse 4 says, to an inheritance. So we have an inheritance. It's incorruptible. It cannot rot or fade or rust. It's undefiled and it does not fade away, and it's reserved for us in heaven. So if God says he has an inheritance for us reserved in heaven, it's a promise. And uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So these Colossians, had the, they had faith, they had love, they had hope, but the greatest of these three, of course, is love. Well, where did they learn this? They learned this from the gospel, the truth, the good news. The same good news that was, was shared with us, which is the best news. Um, there's not much good news these days in the world, but we have the very good news, God's absolute truth. So Epiphras would tell Paul about the spiritual growth of these people in Colossae and their love in the spirit, and that it was not merely an emotion, it was true agape love, and it was the outworking of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They loved one another. I'm sure they must have had trials. As a matter of fact, this seemed, when you read this, it seems like it was such a together church with unity and love. Anytime you have a together church with unity and love, you can expect there's going to be trials coming. It happens. It happens in every church, in every family, in every school, in every business. There's always going to be little trials, or maybe big trials. So then in verses 9 through 14, he says that Paul writes this. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's a whole lot there in just those few verses. And, you know, I am not much with alliteration. So, and alliteration is when you have a topic 
and you want to give a little overview of the topic, and maybe you have four words describing that topic, and each one of those four words begins with the same letter. So it might maybe people, progress, um, prayer, uh, you know. But, so I, I've never really done that, but when I read this and thought about it, there is an alliteration here, and this is Paul's prayer. And it's a good prayer. It's a good prayer that we can uh, adopt as well. There's the reason why he was praying. There's the request that he was asking for. There's the result that would be achieved. And finally, there's the reward. So the reason is in the first part of verse 9. Paul and Timothy heard about the spiritual growth and the love, the agape love, and they continually prayed because their hearts were blessed because this was their job to spread the gospel, preach the good news, give thanks to God, and additional requests. So the request is the last part of verse 9. He says in verse 9, for this reason, and then he gives the reason, we also since the day we heard of it do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. When I read that, I said, I don't really understand that. <laughs> I don't quite understand that. I need, to, I need to think on that a little bit more. So um, the request is that they be filled with, with God's, the knowledge of God's will. Knowledge of his will with wisdom and understanding. That's what we need. How do we become filled with the knowledge of God's will with wisdom and understanding? Bible knowledge, wisdom, and understanding can only come from God. I'd like to consider these three words in priority order. That's my priority, in my opinion. You may have a different priority. But first comes understanding. Understanding is perceiving with the mind. You read something, you know what it's about. You understand it, you comprehend it. We read God's word carefully, meditatively, and we understand it sometimes. Not always, we don't quite understand everything. But we comprehend this particular portion that we've read. We know what God is saying. We know what he means. Well, once you achieve understanding on that portion, that then becomes knowledge. Knowledge, the meaning of knowledge is the fact of knowing something. So, okay, you can't know something if you don't understand it. So we've got the understanding, and now it becomes knowledge, which means we fully perceive it. We have full discernment. Once we understand something that becomes knowledge, it's like having an encyclopedia of information that we understand in our minds as, as um, an encyclopedia stored as a big database in our mind. It becomes knowledge. We, we understood it, and therefore we know it, and it's kind of stored there. And once you have biblical knowledge in here, you may not even remember you have it, but the Holy Spirit will all of a sudden recall that knowledge for you at the exact right time that you need it. So knowledge is very important, but now comes the best, and that's wisdom. Wisdom, the meaning is the accumulated, philosophical, 
or scientific learning. In our case, it's the accumulated spiritual knowledge and understanding that we have stored in our database. It's what we do with the knowledge that we have collected. So if you're, if you're doing something, you're witnessing to someone, or you're doing some sort of a ministry, you've got this knowledge because you understood what God said in his word. You've acquired it. It's up here. And then it, it becomes active in wisdom. It's what we do with the knowledge that we've collected. It seems to be the application of all of our collected facts, which allow us to make good, practical, spiritual decisions and take action. However, there's a problem with just taking it that far because unbelievers many times have good wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And some have a great deal of, of wisdom. But their ability to make intelligent and beneficial decisions based on their knowledge is not always godly. It's scientific. Or what they think is the right way. I mean, you, th you think of uh, this guy Oppenheimer or uh, Einstein or someone else. They're brilliant people. But did they know, did they have the biblical knowledge that God is talking to us about? We want to achieve the biblical knowledge and understanding and wisdom. So how do we become filled with these three things? Well, Acts 2.42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. Those are the four components of a New Testament church. If anyone is missing, then it's not a New Testament church. It's not the, um, the, the way it's described in the Bible, the pattern. You've got to have the apostles' doctrine, which is teaching. You have to have fellowship. You have to have the breaking of bread, and you have to have prayers. So the apostles' doctrine is really the teaching of the word of God. And I'll tell you this, if, if you, the, 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 the three Important rules of reading your Bible are read, read, read. If you're not reading your Bible, you are spiritually starving yourself. That's our, that's our spiritual food. We only grow spiritually once we take in, understand, and becomes knowledge of God's word. So what is the result in, in verse 10? He says, Oh, here, think about this. In verse 9, he gives the reason why he's offering the prayer. He gives the, some of the requests. But then there's this little word, that. Some Bibles may sow that. Anytime you are praying or read a prayer in God's word and you see that or sow that or for, the, the result is usually coming afterwards. So Paul is doing this for a particular reason that, or so that, this result will take place. And he says that you, Colossians, and us too, may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do we have a walk that's worthy? Do we have a walk at all? 
It's not your physical walk, but it's a spiritual walk. What are we doing with the understanding, knowledge, and wisdom that we have accumulated? Well, we're not using the wisdom. You know, when Solomon had the two ladies arguing about the baby, he said, bring me a sword. I'll, I'll cut the baby in half and give you each half. He knew, because he was very wise, he had prayed for wisdom, he knew that the real mother would say, uh, no, don't do it. It's, let her have the baby, because that great. So that's wisdom. So our knowledge needs to be acted out in wisdom, which would give us a worthy walk, spiritual walk, that would be pleasing to him. And also provide spiritual fruitfulness for the work that we do with increased spiritual knowledge. And he says that we would be strengthened for all patience with joy and become more thankful. I, many times, um, I've prayed for things, maybe you have too, and, and God answered the prayer, and you kind of forget to thank him for it. We should be thankful people. Even in our trials, you probably have gone through some really difficult trials at times, and when you're in that, you're begging the Lord, help me out here, why me, Lord, why me? And I did that one time, I said, why me? I blood clot my leg, why me, Lord, why me, Lord? And I got this answer, why not? <laughs> And, and the Lord gave me a, a, a verse, a reference, and I went and looked at it, and I said, wow, the, the flesh profits nothing, the spirit is everything. So the result is, so that we will have a worthy walk, spiritual fruitfulness, increased spiritual knowledge, strengthened with patience and with joy, and thank, become thankful people. And finally, in verse 12, we he talks about the reward. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. By the way, what is a saint? A saint is simply a holy person. The, uh, the, words, the word saint, the Greek word is hagios. It's the same word for holy. So you may say, well, okay, I'm a saint, and, but I don't feel holy. Well, what is holy? Holy means to be set apart. You are set apart to God from the world. So as a saint that's working out your salvation, you are separating yourself from the world and drawing a little closer to, the God, to God. So that's what a holy person is. It's not like some person that just walks on the clouds all the time. You know, it's a, a separated uh, person. So the inheritance of the saints... We already read, uh, our, I, I quoted 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, about the inheritance. And then he says, uh, we are qualified to be partakers of that inheritance, of the saints in the light, not in darkness. Darkness is about the devil's area. We want to be in the light. And he has delivered us from the power of darkness. God is nothing but light. I mean, that's a whole study in itself, talking about the glory of God. It's just amazing. And God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But what is redemption? Redemption simply means to be bought back. You, you get a soda can, and you take it to... 
the grocery store and go to the machine or whatever, you get a nickel back. That's what Jesus did with us. He bought us back from the slave market of sin, but he paid that deposit with his own blood. So this is all about redemption as well. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, that's amazing. He was adopted. We were adopted into the family, but actually it's not adopted. It's more like we were placed into his family as sons of God. That's what the Bible says. We are sons of God. Uh, I don't, ladies, I don't know if you mind being called a son. I don't mind being called a bride. So, you know, it kind of goes with one another. So we were brought back. All of our sin was forgiven, past, present, and future. And God was satisfied. That's what propitiation is. God is satisfied. And we now have our inheritance, which will be eternal life. You know, God was satisfied, and we got the best, but Jesus took the worst in our place. And all he wants from us is an improved relationship with him. So I would just suggest that um, you might want to try drilling down a little bit deeper in your Bible reading, meditating on it. And I'll tell you, um, there's this, years ago, when I first uh, came to the Lord, I, I met a guy by the name of Jack Spender. And, uh, and he challenged me to memorize scripture. And so each week we'd get together and, and I would challenge him, but he already had this memorized, I found out here. But uh, there's this one verse, uh, Joshua 1.8, it says this, this book of the law, that's God's word, shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Isn't that a good verse? Meditate, Joshua 1.8, write it down, check it out, memorize it, and the more, when you memorize these things, that's part of your meditation, and it just becomes alive. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It truly is uh, absolute truth, rich and amazing, and we are blessed people. Lord, we pray that we may all grow a little closer to you even this day, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.